It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Jackson Gatlin here, host of the Monday edition Locked On NBA podcast. Every Monday, I cover the three biggest stories in the NBA with the local experts from Locked On. It's an awesome recap of the weekend of the NBA and a look at what's ahead. Mark your calendars on Monday to join me for Locked On NBA podcast, available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. Treat yourself to the meal you deserve and have your favorite restaurants come to you with DoorDash. Right now, our listeners can get $5 off their first order of $15 or more when you download the DoorDash app and enter promo code LOCKEDON. Yeah. I want to ball like the Wizards. Yeah, you know what I mean. When I'm blue, I'm on the net. Girl, she went shots with the team. I was in high school with dreams. Now I'm on moves looking clean. Teaching game like a dean. Coach all these girls to a ring. I want a ball I like the Wizards. Yeah, you know what I mean. When I'm blue, I'm on the net. Girl, she went shots with the team. I was in high school with dreams. Now I'm on moves looking clean. Teaching game like a dean. Coach all these girls to a ring. Hey, guys. Welcome to the Locked On Wizards podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. I'm your host, Troy Halliburton, and joining me on the other line, he's one of the leading thought provokers of Wizards Twitter, <laughs> Mr. Eisman Bag. How are you doing today, sir? Very good, Troy. I'm doing good. Uh, real glad to be here again. Thanks for having me on. You're doing a great job on this podcast, and and just glad to be a guest. You know? Yeah, yeah, man. I, I when 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 I started the the pod, or when I picked up the pod from a uh, shout out to Becca Winker, I wanted to make sure that I incorporated a lot of the people who are actually a part of Wizards Twitter, you know, that the people who literally care on a day-to-day basis about what's going on <laughs> with the team. And, you know, I, I feel very confidently in saying that you are definitely one of the people who is leading the conversation and all things surrounding the Wizards. So, no, I thank you for that, and I thank you for taking the time out to come on this podcast. No, absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, we're, we're here to talk about uh, the team so far, and you know, I, I think that uh, I, I was definitely one of the more optimistic people about the team coming into this season, whereas a lot of people uh, were, were really down on the team. You know, some people, you know, I saw Stephen A. Smith say that it might be the worst starting five in the, in the <laughs> league of the last 20 years. You know, I've had guests that came on this podcast and predicted they would win uh, 15 games. Well, uh, what have been your impressions so far of the Wizards this season? And do you think they're uh, underperforming, overperforming, or about exactly where you thought they would be so far? So I, I would say that I shared the same outlook as you did prior to the season. I think you and I did, uh, you know, we tweeted back and forth over the summer when we saw the over-under come out from Vegas, I think at 27.5 wins. And you also had a lot of, um, a lot of like, basketball, NBA Twitter, come, kind of names in NBA Twitter would come out and be like, oh, my God, the Wizards are going to be the worst team in the NBA you know, for like worst roster in the league, they're not going to win 20 games. They're not going to be able to score. And, and every time I would see one of those, it would actually, yeah, I mean, it, you know, uh, you know, I, there's, there's definitely a level of fandom. in me. I mean, I, look, I do, like you said, I'm on Wizards Twitter because I'm a fan of the team. So yes, there's a little bit of, there's fandom there, but even objectively, I thought, okay, this team can't be that bad. Like they have Bradley Beal, who arguably should have been all NBA last year. They can't be that bad. And so that was my outlook going into the season, similar to yours. I, I didn't think they were going to push for the playoffs. I think that would just be blind optimism. Homerism, <laughs> I'm with you play. there. <laughs> yeah, but but to say that they couldn't match or get near last year's 30 to win total 
when if you look at a lot of the players that exited last year's teams, yes, they were vets. Yes, you kind of knew what you were going to get from them, but what you were getting from them wasn't actually good. So you were just trying to replace bad production with with younger players, who hungrier players. Yes, they wouldn't give you that consistency, but you would think their good might exceed what had left the door, what what had exited from last year. So, you know, so I, that was my outlook. Preseason gave me really no reason to, to change my outlook. The the beginning, uh, the beginning of this season, that road trip that they had, where they started off in Dallas, uh, Oklahoma City, and then San Antonio, that also didn't change my outlook. Uh, I will say that I, I would say over the past few days, a couple of the games have really disappointed me. In particular, the game against Minnesota and the game against Cleveland. Although, if you look at how Cleveland's playing, they might be better than what people have expected. You know, so so it could be one of those teams that actually is doing what we hope that the Wizards would do. You know, exceed expectations, kind of just be a fun team to watch this year. So, you know, you might have to relook at how that Cleveland loss looks later down the road. But you, nonetheless, you have to be a little bit, or at least I'm a little disappointed in terms of. You know, the record probably is not far off what I expected. Maybe I expected three and five versus two and six. But I thought there would be better performances. Uh, and right now we're not really, you know, over the past few games, we haven't gotten that consistently. Yeah, no, I agree 100% with uh, your assessment so far. You know, I, I'm with you. I thought that the team would, you know, very much approach that 32-win uh, threshold that they had last year. You know, I, I didn't think that that was an unreasonable expectation. And so you know, I've been disappointed by them not coming out and competing in that Minnesota game and in that Cleveland game. And I think that, you know, th- th- that kind of goes against, you know, everything that the team has been preaching, you know, coming into the season and throughout training camp about how they're going to play hard and how they're, you know, they're, they're going to bring it every night. And it really didn't seem like the effort was there against Minnesota. You know, it was one of those situations where, you know, they, they, they saw uh, that Carl Anthony Towns was going to be suspended because of that, you know, that, that fight uh, with Joel Embiid. And, and I think that they let their guard down. And I think that the same thing could be said about the Cleveland Cavaliers. You know, they're looking at a team who they're like, man, this team, there's no way they're better than us. And, you know, they, they thoroughly got outplayed in both of those games. So I think that that is the disappointing part for me. And so I would have to say that you know, they've underperformed a little bit uh, to, to, to what my standard for what how they should play should be. But I, I'm just curious as to why you think that besides the, just the, the, the sheer effort of the, of the Cleveland and Minnesota games, why do you think that they, they, they haven't been playing together as a unit when, when you watch the game film? Well, I mean, to some degree, you have a lot of guys who miss training camp and are kind of working their way back in right now. So you've had you've had Isaiah Thomas who came back during this uh, in the San Antonio game. You've had Troy Brown come back. You've had C.J. Miles come back. So you've had a lot of a lot of guys coming in and out of the rotation. So roles haven't been established yet. Ro- I mean, uh, rotations haven't been established yet. You can see Scott Brooks is kind of playing with combinations, playing with you know just playing with lineups and what have you, and that's definitely impacted some of the chemistry. But that being said, it shouldn't. The, the effort part is the, is really the part that that aggravates me, or kind of just has me a little disappointed in the, in the start of the season. We knew the reputation of like the John Wall, Bradley Beal, you know, uh, Gortat version of this Wizards team. But the, I would say, kind of, you know, you'd probably say 2014, 2018, the team that made the playoffs three out of four years, got to the second round, what have you. What they their reputation was, they would win games, they would get up for the good game for the good opponents. 
then that team would have not showed up against Minnesota with not, without having Carl Anthony. Like that effort against Minnesota was a team that would, you would have seen from that version of the Wizards. And all we heard during the summer was, hey, this is a young team. This is an unproven team. There are so many unproven guys on this team. How could they show up at that game or the Cleveland game and expect to win? No one in this roster should ever expect it. So, I mean, I mean, they should always strive to win, but they shouldn't come in, in, into any game with the expectation that, hey, we're better than our opponent. So I think you have – you still have some of that element still there. I don't know where where the root is for that element, but it's still somewhat, it's still somehow in the building. Um, and then on top of that, you have – again, you have chemistry issues with, with guys coming in and out of the rotation. Uh, Scott Brooks one day says, no, I like Troy Brown off the bench. I'm going to keep him off the bench. And then the next day, he, then he's starting one game later. So <laughs> not really consistent <laughs> – you know, not you know. Who knows if you know? It looks like Scott Brooks is kind of playing around with. You know, doesn't really have any. Uh, you can't say that one day he's going to be in my long-term bench piece because we like him in this role. And it's just one day later, and then really have confidence that he has a good idea of what to do with this team yet. Yeah, I, I think that you know we, we we could spend literally a whole podcast talking about uh, Scott Brooks's rotations and lineup decisions as the Wizards head coach, and so and I, I mean that, that that's literally a, a podcast. In its own. Absolutely. Uh, I, I will say this, like, there's a very valid point that you brought up, the fact that, you know, this Wizards team, I mean, it, it's just hashtag so Wizards at work. You know, when you have a guy like Isaiah Thomas literally break his hand uh, at the training facility and uh, you have a guy like uh, Troy Brown strain his cast, like, they're literally doing the right things. Like, they had the entire team in uh, in the building from, like, Labor Day until training camp, which is completely abnormal for NBA teams to have their entire roster in the building training before training camp even starts, like, playing pickup games. And two of their rotation players just so happen to get hurt and miss <laughs> all of training camp in the beginning of the season. Like, if, if that's not hashtag so wizards, I don't know what is. <laughs> so, you know, the, the Brooks, he, he gets off the hook for that one a little bit. But, again, as we as we said, this is a perfect segue to one of the players that we're talking about here uh, and what was Scott Brooks' first major lineup change of the season was when he decided to insert Isaiah Thomas into the starting lineup after he started out hot after his first couple of games, averaging like 16 points and seven assists in his bench role, uh, being that six-man uh, spark plug, microwave guy coming off the bench, and he inserts him into the starting lineup and, you know, Isaiah Thomas has kind of struggled with his play after uh, making that decision. What, what, what did you think about that decision from Scott Brooks initially? And uh, what, what do you think would be the best course of action for him to take regarding the team's point guard rotation going forward? The decision was a head scratcher. It, I really don't understand. I didn't understand it when it was made. I don't understand it now. I mean, Isaiah Thomas did come back from his injury. He had a cut. He, yes, he was playing well off the bench, but it's not even – it's not as though he had like, – he's been playing well for like three, four weeks off the bench, and it was like a natural, like, transition that, hey, he's playing so well off the off the bench that we have to move into the starting lineup. I mean, he missed all of training camp, and, and it was like basically one week of good basketball, and bam, he's in the starting lineup. I don't understand why. I thought the team was playing well. It was structured well. You already have offense on the on the first unit. When Bradley Beal is on the court and Thomas Bryant's on the court, you have enough offense already there. You don't need another offensive-minded, scoring-minded point guard on the floor because, really, 
Brad and Isaiah are just going to take turns. They're not really playing off of one each other well, uh, off of each other well. It's not as though Isaiah is creating opportunities for Brad or vice versa. They're just taking turns on offense. So if that's the case, why not stick Isaiah off the bench where he had good chemistry with Bertans and he had good chem- chemistry with Mo, Mo Wagner and those guys were playing well with him and the second unit was effective in a scoring unit. Additionally, I mean, I mean, you've seen it. You've seen it as everyone has seen it. The defense ever since Isaiah Thomas has kind of moved into that starting lineup has been just dreadful. So uh, again, that might be part of the reason why you and I both considered the start of the season disappointment because of how poor the defense has been. And it's hard not to at least point point you know largely towards that decision to move Isaiah Thomas into the starting lineup. Yeah, I mean that. Like, like I said, I mean that, that's nearly been uh, that was Scott Brooks's first major. Uh, lineup decision uh, for for the season, and, and it was very perplexing just because you know Isaiah Thomas had so much success with what they were doing. Like they had just come off of a, a win against the Detroit Pistons, and uh, oh no, that that was the first game that he was inserted into the starting lineup. But I mean, it, it just really didn't make sense because you know they they had been playing well like coming into that game, and so for him to make that decision and. And then, like, for, for, for really not really give an explanation as to why he made the decision, I mean, but he doesn't really owe an explanation. But the thing is, like, it, it, I mean, he's been asked by media members as to, you know, why he made that decision and whether, you know, he thought that Isaiah Thomas could have been playing better against uh, second-unit guys. I mean, we have to be kind of realistic about where Isaiah Thomas is at this stage of his career. And, you know, it, 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 it became, you know, very uh, obvious to me that, you know, he does play better against backup players. Like, it, 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 it literally does matter, you know, with the, the, the matchup as to who he's going against. And then also when, when something that you brought up, when you talk about the, the, the fit of him playing next to Brad, like we're talking about two very ball-dominant guards, and you know, it, it just really doesn't seem to work right now. So my, my thing to you is how, how much longer do you think uh, we'll, we'll have to be subjected to uh, watching Isaiah Thomas in the starting lineup for the team. But you give Isaiah the Boston game because obviously it means a lot to him. But, but if they lose this game against Boston and and you see a lot of the same issues that have that we've seen since Isaiah's moved into the starting lineup, I think you got to make the move. Uh, make the move. I believe they play Minnesota on Friday. You should make the move right after the Boston game. Uh, frankly, if they weren't playing Boston tomorrow, I'd say do it right now. There's there's just no reason. Uh, no rational reason why this why this line of change was made and that it is still in place. Uh, I was reading Fred Katz, uh, Fred Katz's work, and he had a stat that I thought was just remarkable, and it was it all ties into kind of the defense and how they're playing. And when Isaiah Thomas is on the court, the Wizards are allowing 124 points per 100 possessions. When he's not on the court, they're only averaging allowing 103 points per 100 possessions. I mean that is an absurd, like the delta between the 103 and the 124 is, is gigantic, and 124 per 100 would make this would make this the all-time worst defense beyond all, like you know, far, and not even just like just like just barely beating the all-time worst defense. It would be a leap from the all-time worst defense. So again, hide Isaiah on the second unit where he's not going to get up against more uh, more talented, like you know, scoring guards. And another thing Scott Brooks could do that we saw Brad Stevens do, look, when, when Isaiah was really cooking in 2016, 2017, who was he guarding in that playoff series? He wasn't guarding John Wall. 
Like, he was guarding guard? Otto Porter, posting exactly. Uh, Otto, Otto couldn't post him up though. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, so Dama, who always loves to bring that that. Hey, exactly. Very, uh, I think, you know, that, that, that was that, that was moment up. That was perfect. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I mean, the thing is that that's very accurate because that that's really what happened. And so when when you bring up the uh, the, the 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 stats that you bring up about the you know the points that they're giving up uh, per hundred possessions. You know, and that kind of matches up exactly with the eye test. And so for my eye test, I noticed this early on in the season that the Wizards, they've been playing, uh, they've been going back and forth between a little bit of zone defense and man-to-man defense. And so they're bringing, they're running a new defensive scheme right now under uh, uh, Coach uh, Mike Longobardi, who was the defensive coordinator essentially for the Cavaliers 2016 uh, championship team. And he's a very well-respected defensive coach in the NBA. And he's instilling a lot of his principles uh, into the Wizards' uh, defensive front right now. And so it, it's easy to notice that, you know, early on in the year when Isaiah Thomas was coming in, that, you know, they're running some zone, they're running some zone defense right now. And that's to help, yeah. you know, kind of mask what it is that with his deficiencies on that end of the court. And so I, I'm just very confused as to how you have a guy who you literally have to change your defensive scheme for when he enters the game, then all of a sudden you're decided we're going to put this into our starting lineup and, and kind of mess up the, the, the little bit of chemistry that they have. Going. It's, it's, it's just all very perplexing. Right. <laughs> and it's actually something that, you know, let's just even watch tomorrow. Tomorrow, Isaiah Thomas has no, no business guarding Kemba Walker. All right, but are they going to put him on Kemba Walker, or would they do the smart thing and put him on Marcus Smart, who's not an offensive player? Like, if Boston chooses, hey, we're going to play through Marcus Smart to take advantage of Isaiah Thomas, that's fantastic for the Wizards because you want the ball playing through him offensively, at least, you know? You don't want it in Campbell. But if the, the Wizards, let's see what they do, but it's not going to shock me if Brooks has – they're either playing zone and get picked apart or if Isaiah's guarding Kemba and Kemba just flows right by him. Yeah, no, I think that it'll be a very curious decision. And, uh, you know, uh, Isaiah Thomas guarding Marcus Smart should be an entertaining uh, – matched up for, for the two of them as, as as Marcus Smart. I didn't notice Isaiah said this the other day, and I didn't even notice this, but that uh, Marcus Smart and Jalen Brown are actually the only two holdovers on that Boston Celtics team from that uh, that, that epic uh, 2017 uh, uh, conference semifinals game seven series uh, between those two teams. And, so, you know, that, I think that, that just speaks to, you know, how much uh, these rosters will turn over in the current state of the NBA. <laughs> yeah, it's wild how much it's changed in the, just two years. But just exactly. actually, sorry. But, oh, sorry. Well, another yeah, what, uh, person oh, God, who was in that series uh, was Bradley Bill. And, and Bill and Isaiah Thomas, you know, they, they haven't really gotten off to the, to the best start as a, a starting backcourt duo. But what would have been your impressions of Brad? Besides, you know, just him just playing next to IT. Just individually, what have uh, you thought of the way Brad has played uh, coming into this season? So, Brad, my expectations of Brad, and, and I'll be honest. So, I, when when Brad first started off here, I was like, okay, he's good. He's, I didn't know how good he could be. And then, uh, you know, and then it was really last year where, in my mind, he really made a leap. Now, it, wasn't necessarily, it didn't necessarily translate to the win-loss column because of how depleted – the roster was after the deadline, but over the last 43, there was a 43 game stretch last year, and I really count it like after they declared John Wall out. Two, like those, uh, I think it stopped, stopping it at those low, before the last four games of the season, but they really finally started like uh, pulling back on Brad's minutes. And in those 43 games, 
he averaged 28 points, 6.2 assists, 5.3 rebounds. He shot 47.8% from the field. Three-point shooting was still not where we think Brad Beal should, Bradley Beal should be, but it was still 35.9%, and he was getting to the free throw line almost six and a half times per game. He really took his game up a notch, and I think that's really what generated a lot of the interest in him this summer where you had every team that wanted another star, that like couple, like the Clippers, for example, who wanted someone to pair with Kawhi. They wanted Brad Beal. So that's where a lot of the interest, I, I mean, I think people saw, at least, you know, I'm just saying, speaking for myself also, he made a leap, and I think people were excited about that leap. And I'm still excited about, like, what growth he's shown. But the part that has been a little bit, you know, again, another part of the, the disappointment, again, small sample size, it's only been eight games this year. I think they've, yeah, a lot of teams have already played 10 games. The Wizards are a little bit behind scheduling-wise. But where he is right now, I, you know, you have to say he's been a little bit disappointing. And, I, you know, and it's been a discussion point. How much of it is they're just putting – how much are they putting on him? Is it too much load on him? The load that he took on last year was pretty, you know, burdensome also. He was – his usage was about 30%. He was taking 20, about 21 shots a game, but he was able to handle it. Um, he didn't have as much, you know, much help on the roster last year either. Uh, Otto Porter during that stretch got traded to Chicago and wasn't, you know, as effective as he was previously here. Sadoransky was a solid point guard, but he wasn't the one that was going to shoot it 15 times to take some pressure off of him. So he was the focal point of every team that the Wizards played. And especially during the second half of the season, maybe the Wizards didn't have anything to play for, but those teams had something to play for. So they had to take Brad out of the game, and they couldn't. But this season, this season, the, the thing with Brad is, and the thing with actually, if you, if you look at it, Brad and John have always had this issue to start seasons. They always start slow. And I don't know if it's because they're pressing, because they're excited about the upcoming season and their goals are just taking it to the next level and they maybe press too much. But even right now, he's, like, you know, he's just missing shots. And, like, the way he's playing, I mean, the way he's playing, he's shooting about 40% from the field, below 30% from three. If you are even getting just normal Brad Beal now, maybe that's one or two extra wins in the, in the win-loss column. And big picture, maybe that doesn't matter with what this team's goals are for this year. But it is a little bit frustrating. You're like, hey, this is, an, this is a player that everyone thinks can be all NBA, but we, this is year, year eight, I believe you eventually have to see it. Exactly. Yeah, and, and, I mean, I agree with everything that you're saying about Brad so far. And, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm a person who believes that Brad can be a potential all-NBA player. But, like you say, I mean, we, we have to see it. And, and, and it really starts with, I mean, I mean the, the guy is compared to Ray Allen. I mean, he's got to hit his open shots. Like, we got to start there. Like, you know, we, we can talk as much about, you know, his uh, usage rate, and, you know, he, he is. His usage rate is at a, at a career high. I wanted to uh, check, check that again. Um, yeah, no, he, his usage rate is at a career high, uh, 32% uh, right now. So, you know, he, he, they are running a lot of their offense through him. But at the end of the day, I mean, he's got to help. He's got to help himself by right. hitting some of these shots. And it's not even like, you know, I think that you and I both looked at it, you know, he's missing not open shots and wide open shots. We're talking about, you know, shots where there aren't, there isn't a defender within four feet of him. So, you know, he, he, he has to, you know, take it, uh, take it, take, take it upon himself to, you know, actually come out and perform up to the level of expectation that not only he has for himself, but that others have for him. And that's the thing that I think that is, is really interesting 
is the fact that, you know, I think there are people defending Brad when Brad himself has said that he's not playing well this year. That, you know, Brad himself has said that, you know, Brad, Brad himself is, is staying, uh, you know, 30 minutes, an hour after practice, uh, w- w- which is not common for star players. And, you know, they're usually right. the first people out of the building just because, you know, they, they have that luxury as a star player. But he's in there, you know, staying an hour after practice, getting up shots. Because he's trying to do something to change his routine. Because I mean, it, he's just not hitting shots right now. So is is there something that you think that the team can do to to help correct this, or is this something that you know just just Brad just has to do on his own to uh, you know just just start coming out and hitting shots? I think a lot of it is unfortunately because of how the makeup of the roster. A lot of it is going to be he just has to come. To, it comes down to just making open shots. And kind of the stat that, that you were mentioning that you and I, uh, you know, we were in a Twitter conversation with a few folks on was that on what NBA.com calls open shots, he's shooting 33.3%. And that's, it's not like it's a small number. It's seven and a half field goal attempts per game. And then on wide open shots, he's getting nearly four attempts a game. He's shooting 36.7. So these are open looks, no defender within four feet of him. And he is shooting sub 35% overall on those type of attempts that makes up almost half of his shot attempts. So, a lot of it does come down to he just has to, for someone, everyone says he has the nicest, you know, nicest form, nicest jump shot, prettiest jump shot. The ball has to start going in. And even for the last last year, he shot 36% from three. He these shot, he has to start, like, you know, the form, you know, like how it looks, what he does in the offseason. It has to translate on the court, and those threes have to start dro- dropping. Like, given his uses and given some of the pressure and, and burden that he takes and the shot creation, yes, he's not going to shoot like a Clay Thompson from three or, you know, like uh, someone who just benefits from having his shots created for him, but he does have to be have to be more efficient knocking those shots down. A couple of things the team can do for him, uh, like, you know, what he can do for himself also is when they did make a bit of a run against Cleveland, uh, Brad was initiating, but he wasn't initiating score. He was initiating to, to initiating to create opportunities for others. So he was he was driving and dishing to uh, to Thomas Bryant. He was driving and dishing to Rui. And then the more effective those guys are, the more it'll leave Brad open, in my opinion. He doesn't have the benefit of of like of a John Wall on the roster this year. Who you could say, okay, Brad, maybe just get the ball out of your hands a little bit. Go move without the ball. Find yourself open in the corner, and Don will find you in the corner. Uh, the point guards on the roster can't do that right now. Uh, Isaiah, that's not Isaiah's game, and even Ish, Ish is a distributor, but Ish is not going to, you know, the team, the defense is not going to collapse on Ish like they do on John Wall, so that's just not realistic. So roster limitations, it, with the roster limitations, it's hard to say, okay, we got to we gotta reduce his usage, we got to cut things back. Maybe if Troy Brown continues to evolve, he could take some of that, uh, you know, some of that ball handling it and um, playmaking responsibility away from Brad which could let Brad work off the ball a little bit and make things a little easier for him, but they're just not at that point yet. So it really comes down to uh, maybe facilitate while your shot's not on, work more on facilitating until those other guys become threats and then use that to give yourself more one-on-one opportunities without the defense collapsing and just, you know, knocking down your shots. Yeah, and I, I agree 100%, especially about the part uh, about Brad having to facilitate uh, more and create open looks for others. And I think that, you know, one thing, I'll give Brad credit. He has worked very diligently on improving his ball handling skills in order to, you know, like just move more fluidly on the court. Now, where I think that he obviously can take his game to the next level is working on his passing skills. Because as we've seen so far this season, 
you know, he, 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 can, he can dribble the ball. He can get to the spot. He can make the read. But when he makes that pass, man, some of these, some of these <laughs> entry passes and stuff, I mean, he, he, he's not – he's like either the, the passes, even if they get there, they're not on target. So the, the, the players aren't catching them in their shooting pocket. They either have to reach down to their feet or reach above their head to get to the ball. And I think that that's a skill that he has to work on. And, and, and it's kind of a bit of a domino effect, like you, as you're stating, like him passing the ball and getting the players open looks makes it easier for him to get overlooked for himself. So, you right. know, but, it, and again, with the roster construction, uh, this is actually a perfect segue. They're missing uh, a guy named John Wall who, you know, has been, you know, literally his job for the Wizards for the last uh, eight years has been to just spoon feed people and get them open looks. And I think that, you know, uh, John has literally been one of the best in the league at just literally facilitating offense and, just coming out as, as a one-man show and just creating offense for an entire team. And he's been doing that for years. And I think that, you know, people, people really kind of forget, like, that, you know, Brad was really playing at his best when Brad, in, in that 2016-17 season, when Brad was shooting 40% yeah. from three-point range. You know, a lot of that has to do with the fact that, you know, John is drawing so much attention and he's kicking it to Brad, and Brad is literally just taking, you know, catch and shoot threes as opposed to, you know, him him having to work on his crossover dribble and working on his own his pull-up game. And so this, this is a perfect segue to talk about, you know, John Wall, uh, who's a, who is still on the Wizards roster. Uh, he, uh, people know that very well because they know his contract. He, he's, a, he's a super max player. He's making $38 million this year, and I think – you know, a lot was made about uh, what's the guy, Nick Wright from First Things First on uh, Fox Sports 1. You know, he, he just made this this very just random analogy <laughs> the other day where he compared Jared Goff being the anchor of, uh, of, of the Rams and bringing them towards mediocrity on his contract. He compared that to John Wall of the Wizards bringing the Wizards towards mediocrity all because of John Wall's contract. And I, I just, I just try to figure out where, where do you stand on on the people out here who think that the Wizards are somehow mediocre because they gave John Wall this supermax contract. So okay, so the analogy was just absolutely absurd. I mean, on just so many levels, Jared Goff is healthy, number one. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, he, he's literally on the field and playing poorly, so which is why the issues are what they are with the Rams. But look, it's just, I mean, he's healthy, one guy's not. I mean, it's just, it was an absurd example. But it's it like goes to say there's there's something and I kind of want to get your take on this you know uh, you know as we as we talk about it too something about John Wall has always uh, always elicited like like a reaction he's it, like most most NBA players are like oh yeah you know no one has like a negative opinion they're just like oh Damian Lillard yeah he's nice he's good no one will say anything negative you know, like even maybe Kyrie you have a few people who'll be like hey maybe his 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 ball handling and all his nice scoring what he has in his bag for scoring doesn't actually translate to wins, but you don't hear like that much from the media. John Wall has always has always elicited like a a very polarizing "you either love him or you hate him" response, and it's it's been that way really since he entered the league. I mean, I don't recall too many players that like uh, who was it? David Falk came out, took a shot at him. Like, how many agents come out and just take shots at a player out of the blue? Like, you know, just just a random. He just decided, hey, I'm going to say something bad about John Wall, you know, and he he did. I think this was in John's third season when he was 
coming back from an injury, you got Stan Van Gundy say things, you've had and it's been so on and so forth. You have you've had a lot of Can't forget about Colin Cowherd. Oh yeah, yeah. How public enemy number one. <laughs> public Cowherd. enemy number one is the worst. I mean, you can't even just you know. I can't even. <laughs> anytime I see a clip of him, I just gotta you know just mute, block, whatever I gotta do, just not see Colin Cowherd. <laughs> but it's always been that way with John, and I think so. It's a it's a couple things. Before he got here, the Wizards were asked because you know everything that happened with Gilbert Arenas and Gungate and what happened afterwards. They were, it was rock bottom. Uh, I would go to the arena. It would be like dead silence. You could hear, you know, it was just, it was just a terrible atmosphere. There was nothing good about the team back then. I mean, and and even, like, look at the roster that Wall came into the league with. So to say that, like, it was, it had players like, you know, Blige, Andre Blige, JaVale McGee, Nick Young, some of these guys have lasted, but those were actually the core players that they tried to put around wall to build a team and that's just absurd you know if you look at it now that that's who they identify as hey we're gonna it's gonna be john and these guys and they're gonna lead us into the future i mean it was it was a horrible plan trevor burke just this week was being interviewed and he said he was just glad to make it out alive you know so so (laughs) so i mean so look what he look what he what he took and he made a playoff team and he he helped take that team to playoff contention year in and year out a lot of teams get to the playoffs and don't win a series. No, it's not like the greatest accomplishment in the war- world, but they won, uh, what is it, three playoff series? They got yeah, to the second they won, three times? They did win three playoff series, and the right. world cannot take that away from them. You and can't take like that away forget, from them. But this yeah. happened. As Jake Whitaker would like to point out, 2015, did you know that the Wizards actually swept the Toronto Raptors? <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. So, yeah, these things happen, and, like, you can't take that away from him, and it's not as though they were – a 61 team that he brought down to four. So, I mean, the whole analogy was ridiculous. He is actually, he was the centerpiece in terms of bringing this franchise up to that level. And, you know, they had already begun to come back down because of decisions that Ernie Grunfeld had made and, and some injuries and some bad, bad play. I'm not going to excuse Wall completely. His, his play had suffered. And I think in, you know, how much was due to the injuries, we don't know, but in some way, shape or form, his, his play was suffering and it was also hurting the team a little bit. But he was still on his first extension, not his Supermax extension, which he is currently on now. So the team became a 32-win team while he was on a contract that was paying him $19 a year, not the Supermax he's making right now. So the whole analogy was ridiculous. They, like, you know, he, he is not the reason they are mediocre. They're mediocre because Ernie Grunfeld was general manager as long as he was and made some terrible decisions. And they never got the star, the, the right supporting cast, when he was on more reasonable contracts. That's why we. That's why we are where we are. Not because of his current supermax deal. <laughs> yeah, no. I mean, I, I think you broke it down uh, uh, quite eloquently, if I if I might say so <laughs> myself. And, and to answer your question as to why, I, I've been thinking about this, and I actually have a theory as to why John Wall received such a negative reaction or just such a polarizing reaction from uh, media members and just NBA Twitter in general. And so my my theory on this is it all starts with. It all starts with the John Wall high school mixtape. That's what I think it really starts. Because, I mean, when you really look back on it, like the whole concept of, like, the high school mixtape really didn't become popular until, like, you know, 2007, 2008, 2009, when, Mm -hmm. you know, the YouTube clips and stuff really kind of got going. And so then you had these, you know, these these highly recruited players, and they would have these mixtapes. And, you know, I still think to this day that 
you know, the John Wall High School mixtape was is probably, uh, if not the best, definitely undeniably one of the best high school mixtapes oh, absolutely. that ever uh, yeah. existed. And so I think that you, that 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 kind of buzz just built up just just a lot of haters. Like I think it just built up <laughs> a lot of people who just want to see you know a, a guy who's getting a lot of shine at an early age. They just don't want to see him 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 really succeed. And so then when you add in you know the fact that John is not he's not a bashful guy. He's he's, he's kind of brash with you know his trash talk and you know just his whole mannerisms as a player. You know, and, and then, you know, he, he dances, he knows how to have a good time. <laughs> I think that, you know, that all of those things combined, like, really kind of turned off a lot of people. So then he, he just became like this, this he's become this, this punching bag almost where, you know, like, I mean, like, li- there was literally no feasible reason why John Wall's mouth, <laughs> John Wall's name should have come out of Nick Wright's mouth uh, on, on yesterday's first thing first, like, it just didn't make any sense for him to even like make that analogy. No, but not at all. But because John Wall is low hanging fruit, he's just like, yeah, let me just go ahead and just take this quick jab at John Wall right now. Right. Yeah, and that's what it is, really. It's like you could take anyone on on first take or this show. Also, you don't have to know anything about basketball to really pay attention. If you're one of the you know you know one of the talking heads out there, you can throw John Wall in his comp. You could just say any sentence end it with John Wall contract, and uh, you know and you think you, you know, and you think you did something. And and in this case, that's what Nick Wright seemed like he was doing. He just took a cheap shot just for the sake of a cheap shot and, like, you know, an attention-grabbing line. And, and, like, the analogy was terrible. It just didn't – it just never made any sense. Still doesn't make any sense. His explanation afterwards was 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 where he tried to, like, appease Wall by saying I, – I can't remember exactly, but he was kind of backtracking a little bit, but that was also weak. It was just – it was just an unnecessary cheap shot. And, and – Look, when Wall is playing, not playing up to his potential, I get it. When he has been out for ten months rehabbing, I don't get it. I'm sorry, <laughs> it just is just a foolish take. And again, it kind of goes back. Actually, it ties into kind of a lot of the discussion that we had today. You're like, uh, and going back to Beal, and a lot of this, you know, a lot of this uh, conversation is about, hey, you know, like, um, you know, over the last twelve months, like, can we build around Brad? Can we build around Brad? Now we're seeing the beginning of a team being built around Brad, and he's you know, he's kind of struggling through struggling through it, trying to get to the point where he could carry a team, whereas we've seen Wall do this in the past. And I pointed this out a few days ago, um, and I think the, this, this, uh, when the playoff, the 14-18 to 18 Wizards started, really, it really kick-started at the end of the 2012-2013 season, Wall's third year. He was out with his knee injury, I think it was a kneecap injury at that point, and they were 5-28. and 28. So 5-28, and 28, Imagine if this team was five. That's a terrible roster. You could you could read the names off. It's just a terrible roster. He came back and they won twenty four and nineteen. So for one player to come back and take a five and twenty eight roster to twenty four and nineteen over the next you know forty three games, that shows that he could elevate a roster. So and and if you look now, yes, over the past few years there've been questions about how Wall has played, and you're like, eh, you know. But now that he's not been there for 12, like ten twelve months. You can kind of gain a, you can begin to gain an appreciation for what he was actually able to accomplish. But yes, there's still some things that you like to see, and some of his weaknesses are kind of more glaring, like the shooting at times, and which is which is why maybe he also like NBA Twitter kind of just is like, hey, he can't shoot, but he does so many things to create for his teammates that I think a lot of that is lost because his weaknesses maybe maybe stand out more than other players' weaknesses. 
Yeah, yeah, no, it, it's definitely one of those situations where uh, you, you, there people are focusing so much on what he what he can't do and really losing thought of all of the things that he does extremely well on the basketball court. And you know, when, when it comes to you know like uh, setting up players and, and putting his teammates in the best possible position for them to succeed, I mean, John Wall was literally one of the best. I mean, we we they, they just think about all of the the three and D wings that he got paid you know, over the years just by literally spoon-feeding them shots. But, you know, just think about Martin Gortat, who, you know, I mean, people, the guy couldn't jump over a phone book for, you know, for the last, like, three, four years. And and Wall was getting him, like, the hammer action. He was getting them plays, like, at, at, at the rim, like, on a, on a nightly basis. And right. so, like, I, I think that what people lose sight of the fact that, you know, uh, John Wall really did take that franchise from – from the depths of hell and brought them to a place where, you know, he didn't take them to the promised land, but, you know, he had them, he had them as a, as a competent competing organization for a five year stretch. And he, right. he, he himself was a five time all-star and he made the one all NBA team that, that was a requisite in order for him to get that contract that, uh, that, that, that Ted Leontes gave him. And so, you know, I, I don't have any problems with, you know, him being on that super max deal for all the things that he's done, he he's earned that money for what he put in uh, at work on on that on that on that previous contract. But as you said, I mean, it it was Ernie Grunfeld's job in order to put a competent team around him. It's, it's, exactly. it was Ernie Grunfeld's job to put a a quality level coach around them. You know, a, a guy who could take a team with 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 with. Otto Porter, Kelly Oubre, Thomas Sadaransky, and Boyan Bogdanovich as role players, and hopefully win a playoff series against the Boston Celtics. That's again, that's that's a whole another pot. But you know, this, this this stuff. There's a lot more going on wrong with the Wizards than John Wall and his subsequent uh, max contract. But you know, it, 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 again, it's low hanging fruit for people, and you know, it's some some of it. Some of it is absurd. Now, if John Wall comes back and, you know, next year for the next two or three years, that con- he, he's not playing at the all-star level after he gets healthy, then by all means, trash the contract. Right. You know what I'm saying? Like, by Take all your means, shots then. I'll be the first person on Twitter to say, yo, man, this John Wall contract ain't looking good. You know, but, <laughs> like, let, let's, 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 let's not act like he didn't earn the contract from before and, like, he's not hurt right now. Like, this is a, these are conversations that – you know, uh, another five-time All-Star uh, uh, player, Clay Thompson. This is a conversation that you would literally never ever have around Clay Thompson. That his contract is is killing the Warriors because he's not right. playing. I mean, the guy's yeah. injured. Like he can't he can't help. <laughs> he just, in, he in. can't be on the field. I mean, on the court. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So it, I mean, it's it, it, it's just interesting. And but it's it, like I said, as as stewards of Wizards Twitter, I think it's our responsibility to to help break down like. And help, like, because I, I know that there are a, a good amount of national people who pay attention to these different conversations, and they talk to me about this stuff. And so they might say, oh, man, that, that's something that they might, they might not have thought of or they might have not have looked at because, you know, people really don't pay attention to the Wizards. So it's not right. like they know about the, the, the intricacies and the small details and the, and the full scope of everything that is going on, whereas somebody like you who has – been dedicated, who was going to games, you know, after the Gilbert era ended and before this, uh, the, the, the Wiz kids came along and started making the playoffs. I mean, you know, we, we literally uh, live and breathe, you know, the, the, this team. So it, 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 we're, we're able to give a different perspective. Right, right. And that's really all it is. 
yes, Wall has to play better, play well when he comes back. And and like you said, if he's not playing well, you're gonna you're gonna call it out. I'm gonna call it out. If he comes back and tries to be a ball dominant, like 18 shot per game player, and and not you know after coming back from that type of injury, you know again it's gonna be called out. He has to adjust. You know we have to see how he comes back. You know, but at this point, look, the team. Everyone has said it. The team needed some kind of restart, rebuild, retool, whatever you want to call it. The contract isn't hurting right now because they – the only way for a team like the Wizards to retool, rebuild is is to get in the lottery. They got in the lottery last year. Rui Hachimura looks like he could be a player. Uh, and, again, that's a topic for – you know, I know you're on the – you're driving the bus on the Rui Hachimura – you're driving the Rui Hachimura bus. I'm definitely a passenger on that. Like, that's that's a promising player. But they need more of that. And – his contract isn't inhibiting them from being in the lottery again this year, which is really where they're trending towards. So, you know, how is, you know, again, how, like, yes, they're not getting a return for his contract as of now, but they're taking what I think and what I think a lot of people think, and I'm sure you share that opinion, the necessary step back that they have to take to take a couple of steps forward in the future. Yeah, no, and I think that all starts with, um, you know, Tommy Shepard taking over as the team's GM. And, and, you know, I mean, quiet as it's kept. Not even, no, not quiet as it's kept. Like, I'm going to say it very loudly. He has made uh, quite a few fringe moves on the outside that are really turning out to, to, to look like just very smart basketball decisions. So, you know, like, people uh, seem to be upset when they got involved in that Lakers deal. But it's like that just brought us two free quality young players, Mo Wagner, who you know is on a uh, he he has three more years left of this deal of like of like a million dollars, like for for a guy who who looks to be a quality backup big man. Uh, right. You know he he's got to stop fouling so much, but <laughs> but he I mean he's he's played. You know even I was a guy who was skeptical of Mo Wagner as a as a as a potential rotation player, and, and you know I can admit that I was wrong. Mo, Mo Wagner looks good right now. And, and uh, Isak Bunga, you know, this is a guy who is 19 years old, right? He has he has a, a ton of upside, and we literally don't know what he will be as a player. But I do know that he's six eight with a with 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 a, with a a good feel for the game and a and a good frame. I mean, you, you just and he's and he's 19 years old. So <laughs> you know, th- th- these are these are fringe moves that Tommy Shepard is making, and you know they they've got that. I know you and I have gone back and forth on this. This Jan Mahimi expiring contract, and I, I'm still holding out faith, even though I got, I got, I'll admit, I got on the trade machine the other day, and I was like, damn, man, it's not, like, it is, it's not, a not lot much out there, man. There's not much but, out there. It's, 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 exactly, it's, but you just, you just honestly never know what can materialize. Yeah. And so, so, like you said, like you said, it's like it wasn't worth. And just for people, like I was, I was suggesting over, over training camp, hey, maybe cutting Jan now. Uh, just not a stretch. Just a straight cut, and maybe keeping a spot for Justin Anderson. Justin Anderson, who's not in the league anyway. So, so yeah, Troy, exactly. I will, I will if, readily admit, Troy, Troy is right. It, it does no harm to have Yami Hevi on the roster, and just seeing what happens as we go through, at least until the trade deadline. Now, if he is still on the roster after the trade deadline, and they don't trade him, that's pointless. At that point, just cut him. Use that spot on someone that you might want to develop. You know, but yeah, there's there's no rush. Yeah, absolutely no rush, and. Where, where I think that uh, if, if I was Tommy Shepard, what I would try to do, I would m- very much monitor that uh, Andre Iguodala situation because he makes uh, $18 million this year. And so that, that Jan Mahimi, that, that, uh, that, 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 that $16 million expiring mm-hmm. coming off, that, that, could, that could very well, if you, if you play your cards right, 
You could try to fit in there somewhere with that with that with that uh, Andre Iguodala money and pick you up an extra draft pick. <laughs> so that's that, that's that, that's that's what I would do. But other than that, I mean, it ain't looking good. It's trying to <laughs> trying to move Jan. It just it just I don't know. If Tommy does this, man, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna drive the Tommy Shepard bus. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. I mean, look, yeah, I, I've loved, I've loved everything. I was skeptical of the, I, I wouldn't say I was skeptical of the hire, but I really wanted an outside, outside voice in when they hired Tommy, just, just for the sake of it. Uh, admittedly, that was my perspective, but everything that he's done and said since then has been great. He's transparent. He's open. He, he like you, you know what their aim, what their, what their aim is. And, and it's not like he's, he's, you know, he's very transparent about everything that he's doing and, and you could appreciate that. And and look, the decisions he made, the fringe moves that are working out, the draft picks look like they they're they're working out. So I mean, he's he's earning the benefit of the doubt. Now we just got to see as how he manages it going forward. He has a couple of tools like the Jan contract, like you were saying. He has a trade exception exception that they picked up for Thomas Sadoransky that they have to work out. I mean, so so we'll see what he's doing. But so far, so good. Like you said, Bonga and Wagner, they like. It was basically a gift for the Lakers to try to get as they were trying to get Kawhi, and they didn't get Kawhi. So if you don't like the Lakers, you know they worked out fine, and and the Wizards got some out of it. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> now we, we we've done a, a very nice uh, uh, macro full scope view of the Wizards <laughs> and where they stand. Let, let's take it down to uh, the ground level because you know they the, 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 even though it seems like they haven't played in a while, their last game was Friday, but they're they're going to play a basketball game tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Against the uh, Boston Celtics, let, let, let's try to preview a little bit of uh, what, what you think that that matchup against the Celtics can look like for the team. And, and I'm going to put you on the spot here because I, I'm trying to incorporate more of this this gambling take into the Locked On Wizards podcast. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to take a look at this uh, this Wizards plus nine line. And, and if you were a betting man, how, how do you feel the Wizards will will, will stack up with with, with that line? Uh look, there's going to be definitely some type of uh, some type of emotional kick because of Isaiah's return to to Boston. I think the team will try to play for him, but at the I end, mean, I, I, I see said the other day in practice that he's going to try to drop fifty. Now I don't know if that I don't know if that's a good thing, but <laughs> I, I know one guy who is emotional about it, and he's already let his intentions be known. <laughs> so look, yeah, like you said, if, if Isaiah's going for fifty, that's probably not the best thing for the Wizards. I mean, that means he's gonna be on the court for a while to get those fifty, and while he got fifty, he may have been a part of even up like seventy, you know. So, so it's not the best thing for the team. I mean, look, Boston is playing great basketball. Um, they seem to be back on track ever since uh, ever since Kyrie moved on and they replaced him with Kemba. Their chemistry seems to be back. They're playing good. They have the just by defensive efficiency. I think they're seventh in the NBA. I think there will be an initial surge and and it'll stay competitive for about a half, maybe into the third quarter. But at some point, the combination of how well the Celtics are playing just overall and how they're sharing the ball and and the the number of scores that they have, even without uh, Gordon Hayward, Jalen Brown is playing better this year. You have Kemba. Um, you know, they just have weapons that the Wizards don't have. And on top, so you have two teams. The Wizards can still score. I think they'll be able to score, but one team plays defense, one team doesn't. And if Isaiah's on the court a decent amount of time, the Wizards can't play defense. So at some point, they're going to stretch. Boston's going to stretch, pull away, and and they are going to cover that nine points. 
Yeah, I, I, I'm going to have to agree with you there uh, just because, I mean, uh, if this whole Isaiah revenge game uh, uh, narrative, it, it just, it just it this, <laughs> this, this thing never usually works out. And so no. if it was like an organic thing, if he was like really quiet about it and he didn't say anything <laughs> and he just came out, you know, ready to bust some ass, that I would have been like, all right, let's get on board. But when as soon as you start talking about, oh, yeah, I'm going to drop 50, it's like, nah, that's. That's, it, just, it just doesn't leave. No, especially, yeah. Just when does that ever work out well for a DC team? I can't exactly. remember it ever. I don't know. Like, yeah. <laughs> so, you know, I, I, I agree that I don't think that they're going to be able to, to cover that nine-point uh, spread. But, you know, I, I, you know I, I think that I would not be surprised, though, if they came out, like you said, and made the game competitive for, you know, the, the, the first, you know, uh, half of the game, maybe even the first – three quarters of the game. But I, I just believe uh, eventually um, the, the, the Wizards' uh, lack of defense intensity is going to come back to haunt them. And so, like, you know, this yeah. game is about about getting stops and getting buckets. And so, you know, the, the Wizards, they, they've been okay at getting buckets, but they've been terrible at getting stops. So, you know, I, yeah. I, 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 just, <laughs> I just don't see uh, them, them, them coming out and, you know, really being able to, to, to play with a Boston team that, you know, looks like they've got a little bit of their mojo back. Oh, yeah. Like, this, like if Isaiah weren't on the team, maybe it's a trap game after Boston was just on that on NBA TV playing the Mavericks, then there might be some. But with Isaiah coming in and, and all that goes, that which goes with that, I mean, they're going to be up at this game, and, and they're going to show up, and, yeah, it's I don't see it going well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, like, like you said, like I, I think I think they can play well. They can yeah. try to stay in it for a little bit, but you know, if, if Brad's going to keep shooting like he's shooting, then you know they, they probably don't really stand a chance. But look, we all, yeah, we also do have that. We got Brad versus Marcus Mar, which always look. I don't, like there's never been anything open, but you can when those guys play each other. Look, I, you know, there's something always going on there. You know, there's a little extra pushing, there's a little extra shoving. You can tell they get on each under each other's skin, so. If if Brad is ever going to get going, this this is the this is the game that you're going to want to see it against an opponent that seems to get under his skin. Yeah, I'm 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 very much looking forward to to that <laughs> matchup. Uh, hopefully, we won't have any uh, finger pointing or, 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 or any uh, uh, straight straight wolf tickets yeah. coming from from either end. You know, we, we want we want to see some good basketball being played. Yep. <laughs> Yeah, look, I, do miss those, man, I miss I those funeral games. Though. I appreciate you for for taking the time out, and I mean, this, this this has been absolutely perfect for you to come in and and look at the Wizards from a from a macro point of view, from a micro perspective, as to you know breaking down some of the X's and O's and things that are going on in the court, and and you know just 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 to get a chance to 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 breathe for a little bit and, and talk about the <laughs> team without without you know the, I think I feel like the Wizards Twitter can be a very depressing place, so it, it's. It's good to you know just bring a little bit of optimism to the room every once in a while. <laughs> look, this yeah, there's so something about Wizards Twitter. It just it just is. Look, the team has been terrible for a long. Well, look, the team has been terrible like macro for a long time. But they had a little good stretch recently. But it's like it's almost as though Wizards Twitter they like they want to compete with each other to see who could have the most fatalistic view of the organization and who could take you know be as be the most cynical person. Look, it's okay. Like if, if Rui Hachimura looks good. It's okay to be excited that he looks like a, he like that he looks like a good rookie. It's okay to say, hey, you know, we might Mo Wagner might be something. There's no reason, like you know, people just would rather just like drown in their misery. It seems like on Wizards Twitter, and I get it, the team has been bad for a long time. But 
at some point, look, Ernie's gone. People got to let it go. Let's move on. <laughs> exactly. I mean, I mean, misery is really all that we know, and Ernie is gone, so the bad man cannot hurt us anymore. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah, so Oz, I, w- I want to give you this opportunity right here to to, uh, to to kind of promote yourself on social media and, and let the people know where they can find your great work over at, at Bullets Forever and, and, and anywhere, any place else that, that you want the people to find you at. <laughs> well, mostly, yeah. Mostly I just write for, for Bullets Forever, uh, so you can find my work there. I've done a few, work, uh, few pieces recently. Working on a new one that should be coming out in the next couple of weeks that I'm, I'm excited about. It's going to be tracking some ex-wizards and and how they're performing uh, in the NBA. And we're going to kind of do a little bit of a running thing on, on some of the guys, you know, the guys that, that Wizards Twitter still talks about, like Kelly Oubre, Otto Porter, Tom, Tomas Adaransky, et cetera. You know, talk about some of those guys. So I want to make that more of a recurring piece. And then, of course, you could always, if any day you, you guys want to talk Wizards at OB2Jive4U, you could easily find me. I am willing to talk Wizards all, you know, all day, any day. <laughs> <laughs> and hey, I can attest that this is not a lie because you know we we we're, we're literally on Twitter uh, uh, for for the good uh, portion of the day, you know, just having all types of random musings on the team. So yep. that, that that will continue to and, and as I like to say when I have a, a guest from Wizards Twitter, you you guys that are listening out there, make sure we talk to each other nice on the internet. All right. <laughs> <laughs> All right, but Oz, I, I greatly appreciate you for coming on, man. Thanks. This is a blast. And we'll have to do this again in the future. And, and I look forward to seeing you down at the, the San Antonio Spurs game when the team gets off of this road trip. No, absolutely. Thanks again for having me on. You're doing a great job with the podcast. Keep it up. And all, all the great work you do covering the Wiz, the Mystics, you know, the Go-Go. Definitely enjoy it. I actually want to come down and meet you at a, at, at a Go-Go game. We've got to see how Admiral is doing down there. So, you know, keep up all the great work. Uh, keep up the grind. Yeah, man, I greatly appreciate it, man. You know, just just trying to stay on the scene. They they'd have messed around and gave me a credential, so I'm I'm gonna use it. <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, man, we got we definitely got to catch a go go game. The atmosphere down there is dope, and you know, as 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 quiet as it's kept, you know, if they have they're gonna have Admiral Schofield and and Justin Robinson and Chris Tioza. And, you know, mm-hmm. these guys playing on a regular basis with the Go-Go, this is going to be, a, a, you know, must-watch TV, especially when uh, Taco Fall and the main Red Claws <laughs> come into town. I'm, I'm, I'm going to hope that we're going to promote that, try to get the building. Yep, that's the game I'm going to come down for. That, that's the one I'll be there for. <laughs> <laughs> that's, perfect. that's perfect, man. All right. Thank you again for coming on. Thank you. Chilling back, giving advice. I buy my girl shit that don't matter the price. They see that I'm taking it, try getting past. Label money, I just telling advance. I ain't cheating, I'm just trying to dance. She just trying to have me up in the trance. I'm in a strip, like fuck it. They just trying to make some bucks. 
Love when I slide down my ones, but it bounced like a ball when I struck it. So if you ever see a real nigga like me, just let them live and just be how it be. Go to the club with them two and you'll see. With a J, we'll be on the same team. I wanna ball it like the Wizards. Yeah, you know what I mean. When I'm blue, I'm on the net. Girl, she went shot for the team. I was in high school with dreams. Now I'm almost looking clean. Teaching game like a dean. Coach all these girls to a ring. I wanna ball out like the Wizards. Yeah, you know what I mean. When I'm blue, I'm on the net. Girl, she was shot for the team. I was in high school with dreams. Now I'm almost looking clean. Teaching game like a dean. Coach all these girls to a ring. Hey, Prime members. You can listen to this Locked On podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.